الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرح الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم سبحان الذي أسرى بعبده ليلا من المشرد الحرام إلى المشرد الأقصى الذي باركناه له لنريه من آياتنا إنه هو السميع البصير صدق الله العلي العظيم My dear respected and most honorable elders, beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that if you knew of the reward of standing in the foremost saf, in the front saf, then you would fight with one another to attain that reward, to attain that blessing. I'm not trying to get you to fight. I just want you to come forward. Nowadays, we fight with one another try to try and not get there. You, you, go, you move forward. You move forward. This is something that was left in the wudu area. Somebody has lost it. Please collect it from here. We start by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by praising and glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this unique opportunity to congregate in His house to worship Him to glorify him, to send salutations upon his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we pray that Allah azza wa will continue to facilitate such, op- such opportunities for us in the future insha'Allah ta'ala. We're now in the month of Rajab and we spoke about this a little bit last week. Rajab is that month where it hits you. That Ramadan is just around the corner now. And we've got approximately 40 to 45 days left until the month of Ramadan begins. Now naturally this is a time of preparation. Before any major event in your lives, you always prepare for it. You're going on holiday, you're going to prepare. You're leaving the country, you're going to make sure your bags are packed in advance. You've got your passport, you've got your ticket. Everything has to be prepared meticulously to each, uh, to every detail. In exactly the same way when it comes to the month of Ramadan, we should be prepared. And not just physically in terms of filling our houses up with plenty of food to last us the 30 days that we're going to be fasting. Spiritually, mentally, we need to be prepared. Psychologically, we need to be prepared. Which means we need to start getting ourselves into the routine of fasting already. That's why the Prophet ﷺ is reported in a hadith uh, related to us by Imam al-Bukhari in his Sahih. That the Prophet ﷺ never fasted in a month more than he fasted in the month of Sha'ban. The month of Sha'ban, prior to the month of Ramadan, that's the month that he filled with fasting. So it was mentally and physically preparing him for the coming of the month of Ramadan where the fasts are going to be compulsory with, that, with days on end. So it's important for us to prepare ourselves in exactly the same way. The difference between us and the companions of the Prophet wasallam, those companions who used to state, that six months prior to the month of Ramadan beginning, six months beforehand, they used to prepare. Do you know how they used to prepare? They used to beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and pray, Oh Allah, give us life, grant us life, so that we may reach the month of Ramadan and we may experience the blessings of the month of Ramadan. Then five to six months afterwards, after the month of Ramadan has passed, they would beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say, Oh Allah, accept all of the good deeds that we performed in this month. Every good action that we done, Oh Allah, accept it from us. So that was their preparation. Our preparation is this. 
we fast in the month of Ramadan, outside of the month of Ramadan we never fast. Which is the truth, right? I, I'm not going to embarrass you by saying lift your hands up, those of you who have fasted even a single day since the last month of Ramadan. Because I know that there will be people here who will reluctantly have to put their hands up. Not a single fast. Some of us don't have a single fast from one Ramadan to another Ramadan. And then we just go into the 30 days, you know, starting to fast. So it's something that we need to think about. In the month of Rajab, we have an opportunity for us not to uh, physically prepare ourselves, but to mentally get, get us into the routine of blessings and barakah. Get us ourselves or get ourselves psyched up for the coming of the month of Ramadan. And in the month of Rajab, there's an event that took place, a major event in the life of the Prophet wasallam, one that we can learn from and one that we can be inspired by. And I'm just going to go through that event very quickly and then hopefully try to see what we can extract from the hadith of the Prophet wasallam in relation to how it can affect our lives. Usually when, when people talk about the Laylatul Isra wal Mi'raj, the night of Isra and Mi'raj, some see it as a day which is uh, a blessed day, a day to fast, a day to offer extra prayers, even though there's so much more to it than that. We as Muslims must never allow the incident of Al-Isra wal Mi'raj to remain as a mere fantastical story that we tell to our children. And this great night that took place in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. This is where he went. This is what he visited on this beautiful winged horse. And keep it as a fantastical story that we tell them to put them to sleep at night. We can't leave the story on a shelf or on the pages of books. Rather, we must live it. We have to live the story. And living the story means acting upon what the Prophet ﷺ told us during that uh, time. The Isra wal Mi'raj refers to the night when the Prophet ﷺ was taken on this miraculous journey. And this miraculous journey, most scholars agree, took place on the 27th night of Rajab. 27th night of Rajab, one, one year before the migration, before the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ from Mecca to Medina. The word Isra itself, the night journey, the Isra portion, which, is, which refers to the journey of the Prophet ﷺ from Mecca to Jerusalem, is reported in the Quran. Subhanallah, Asra bi abdihi. And Isra, taken from the word Asra, literally means to travel by night. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Subhanallah, Asra bi abdihi. That glory be to he who took his servant and made him travel by night. So that journey between Mecca and Jerusalem is known as the Isra, which is proven in the Quran. There is no doubt regarding the authenticity of the Isra. And the Mi'raj refers to the journey from, uh, from Baytul Maqdis, from Jerusalem to the seven heavens. And the Mi'raj is proven through so many authentic, indisputable ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ that is declared as Al-Khabrul Mutawatir. And Khabrul Mutawatir is that Khabr that is reported by so many companions. 
And so many, those, so many of those who came after them and so many of those who came after them that it's impossible for them to have gathered upon a lie. Therefore it's almost, almost as strong as a verse of the Qur'an itself in authenticity. So the, the journey from Mecca to Jerusalem is known as Al-Isra and the journey from Jerusalem to the seven heavens is known as Mi'raj. Now for us, the Prophet ﷺ has told us of many great nights, many nights that we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we get so many rewards. Right? Laylatul Qadr, the 27th night of Ramadan. Laylatul Qadr, the night about which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states in the Quran, Khairun min alf shahr, that is better for you than a thousand months of worship. Approximately 83 years of worship in just one night. So the Prophet ﷺ has told us about that. The Prophet ﷺ has told us about the significance of the month of Muharram and the rewards and the blessings of fasting on the, on the day of Ashura. The Prophet ﷺ has told us about that also. So we've got some great, unbelievable nights throughout the year in order for ourselves to get closer to Allah ﷻ through worship through contemplation. However, when it comes to the Prophet there is no gr night greater than the night of Al-Isra wal Mi'raj. There's no night greater than that. Because the Prophet on a personal level, taking this personal journey that was t taken by none other before him, by no one before him, and will never be taken by anybody else again, this is something special. Between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, between the Rabb and his Abd, between the Lord and his noble servant. So therefore the true significance and importance of this night for the beloved Prophet sallallahu is perhaps beyond our lim limited comprehension. We can never truly understand. Despite the huge literature that is available on this night, and it's huge. You open up the books of hadith and there's, there are many chapters that talk about this night. And each and every hadith is a long hadith that talks about the Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. The countless hadith that we, we can come across, we can merely outline what happened on this auspicious occasion. We can merely look at it as an onlooker's perspective, right? We can talk about it, but the feelings that the Prophet wasallam went through and the emotions that he went through are ones that we'll probably never be able to comprehend or probably never be able to understand for no doubt this is a secret between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his beloved messenger. There are two surahs in the Quran. Surah Bani Israel which is, ref which is often referred to as Surah Al-Isra and Surah Al-Najm which talk about the journey itself and the, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's uh, auspicious journey uh, to the and the ascension to the heavens. One verse is the one that I read before you in my khutbah. Subhanalladhi asra bi abdihi laylam min al-masjid al-harami ila al-masjid al-aqsa alladhi barakna hawlahu. Glory be to him. Allah subhanahu wa this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is himself he's praising himself in this verse. He's saying glory be to him. Majesty is his. Who? The one who took his servant by night from Masjid al-Haram in Mecca to Masjid al-Aqsa in Jerusalem, الَّذِي بَارَكْنَا حَوْلَهُ 
whose surroundings we have blessed. This is refer- referring to Masjid Al-Aqsa. And this is something that we're going to come to as well. Whose surroundings we have blessed. Why? min ayatina, To show him just some of our signs. min ayatina, To show him just some of our signs. Why? Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, indeed he is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. This is just one verse referring to the night journey of the Prophet sallallahu I'm going to go through one hadith of the Prophet It's a long hadith. I'm going to try and break it down for you. Just to give you some sort of an idea of what happened on that night, especially due to the fact that there's many young brothers here. And they can, be le- they can learn from it and be inspired by this journey. This hadith was reported by uh, Imam Nawi has reported it. Uh, Imam Bukhari has reported it in, in his Sahih. Many of the A'imma uh, 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 of hadith have recorded this narration. Very quickly, the Prophet wasallam states that while he was at the house, i.e. the Ka'bah, in a state midway between sleep and wakefulness, an angel recognized me as the man lying between two men. So the Prophet ﷺ was lying down between two men. There, was, there were two men on either side of him lying down and resting. The two men, as reported by Imam al-Nawwi in the commentary of this hadith, were Sayyidina Hamza, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, and Sayyidina Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ, and the elder brother of Sayyidina Ali, uh, two great companions of the Prophet ﷺ. Then a golden tray full of wisdom and belief was brought to me and my body was cut open from the throat to the lower part of the abdomen. And then my abdomen was washed with zamzam water and my heart was filled with wisdom and belief. The buraq was then brought to me, the Prophet ﷺ states. And then the Prophet ﷺ goes on to explain what the buraq was to give us some sort of a uh, a visual idea. He said, it's a white animal larger than a donkey, but smaller than a mule. And the word buraq comes from the root word bark. Bark means lightning. And it was probably called lightning or stemmed from the root word lightning because it was lightning quick. It was lightning fast. And then the Prophet explains how fast and how vast its traveling was. It can place its hooves to the furthest point that a man can see. So the furthest point that you can see is one step for the buraq. The Prophet said, I mounted it. And I was taken on a journey until I reached Baytul Maqdis in Jerusalem. So I tied the animal to a ring where all the prophets tied the animal. That is still present today for those of you who visit Jerusalem. The ring where the Prophet tied the buraq. Then I entered the masjid and I prayed two rakats there. I recognized the prophets there. Some of them were standing, some of them were in ruku, and some of them were in prostration. A caller, a mu'adhin, made the adhan, called to prayer, and prayer was performed. We stood up, we made the rows, and waited for somebody to lead the prayer. Sayyidina Jibreel, alayhi salam, he took my hand and he placed me forward as the Imam. So I performed Salah with them. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam led all of these 124,000 Prophets in prayer. 
Then I came out and Jibreel came to me with a vessel of wine and milk. He said he bought me two vessels, two cups. In one of them was wine and the other was milk. However, it was difficult to ascertain which is which. Thus I chose the milk upon which Jibreel salam, said that you have chosen the natural fitra. You've chosen the fitra, the milk. Then I was taken on the ascension from here, the Mi'raj begins. That, the journey up until this point is known as the Isra, up to Jerusalem. But from Jerusalem to the seven heavens, that journey is known as the Mi'raj. The Prophet wasallam said, I was taken on an ascension to the worldly skies. So Jibreel opened up the skies and he was asked, who are you? He replied, Jibreel. He was then asked, and who is with you? He replied, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was asked, and has he been sent for? And Jibreel replied, yes. This in itself showed that the journey of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was pre-planned. It wasn't something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided that was going to happen. Oh, let's take Muhammad on this magnificent journey. No, it was all pre-planned. Has he been sent for? The angel asks Jibreel. And Jibreel says, yes, he has been sent for. And then the angel said, he is welcomed. What a wonderful visit his is. And, his is. and the skies were opened up for us. And when the skies were opened up for us on the first heaven, we met Sayyidina Adam salam, the father of mankind. He welcomed us and prayed for my well-being. Then he's taken to the second ascension, the second heavens. So Jibreel opened up the skies and he was asked again, who are you? He said, I'm Jibreel, who's with you? Muhammad, has he been sent for? Yes, he's been sent for. He is welcome, what a magnificent journey his is. And there he's welcomed by Yahya and Isa alayhim salam. And they, they were both cousins of each other, Sayyidina Yahya and Sayyidina Isa salam. And they both prayed for me and welcomed me and they prayed for my well-being. Then the Prophet wasallam said, I was taken to the third sky. And again, the same routine. When the Jibreel opened up the skies, he was asked, who are you? I am Jibreel. He replied, who is with you? Muhammad. He replied, has he been sent for? Yes, he has. Then he is welcomed. And the skies opened up for us. On the third heaven, he met Sayyidina Yusuf. And then the Prophet وسلم, he mentioned something about Sayyidina Yusuf. He said, and Yusuf, he had he'd been given a portion of all beauty. That's how beautiful Sayyidina Yusuf السلام, was. And he welcomed me and he prayed for my well-being. Then he's taken to the fourth sky. The same thing happens again. The Prophet وسلم, Jibreel is asked whether the Prophet is his welcomed. He replies, yes, he is. And there he meets Idris السلام, then he's taken to the fifth sky. And the same thing happens again. He's asked who's with him. Has he been sent for? Jibreel replies, yes. And there he, the Prophet wasallam states that he met Harun. Salam. Then he's taken to the sixth sky. And at the sixth sky, he meets the brother of Harun, Sayyidina Musa. Salam. And Sayyidina Musa has, out of all of the prophets of, the, of Islam, he has the... He has one of the main roles in the story of the Prophet Because Sayyidina Musa is mentioned when the Prophet was traveling on the Burak. And 
the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa passed by Musa alayhi salam. He said, I passed by Musa and his qa'iman yusalli fi qabrihi. And he was standing and he was praying in his grave. So now Musa alayhi salam here on the sixth heaven, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa meets him again and he will meet him thereafter once more. Then he goes to the seventh heaven. And at the seventh heaven, again, he's asked, who's with you? Muhammad, has he been sent for? Yes, he has. Then he's welcomed. The sky's opened up for us. And there he meets uh, Ibrahim Khalilullah, uh, Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam. And Sayyidina Ibrahim, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam reports that he was resting against the Baytul Ma'mur. And the Baytul Ma'mur is a place where 70,000 angels enter every day, never to return there again. So every day, 70,000 angels enter and they exit. And the next day, 70,000 different angels enter. And this has started from the beginning of time up until uh, Yawmul Qiyamah. From then on, the Prophet ﷺ, he's going to part company with, with Jibreel now. He said, I went to Sidratul Muntaha. And this, this low tree, its leaves were like the ears of elephants, massive leaves. And its fruit resembled the clay jugs. They were big fruit. No one from the creations of Allah is able to describe the beauty of this tree. No one, the Prophet ﷺ states. Then Allah inspired me with wahi, whatever he inspired me with. And this is kept ambiguous deliberately. Because this is a secret between Allah and his, and his, and his Messenger ﷺ. So he inspired me with whatever he inspired me with. And then he said, 50 prayers were made obligatory upon me and my ummah every day and every night. So 50 prayers, these 50 prayers were a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know when you go to somebody's house, right? And you as a guest, you visit them after many years, or you visit them for the first time. Naturally, when you leave, sometimes they'll give you a gift. You know, to dis and it's a display of their emotions, how happy they are to have you with them, how happy they are that you came to visit them, and they leave you something to rem remember them by. In exactly the same way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of the gifts that he granted the to the Prophet sallallahu was the gift of prayer. And it wasn't five, there were 50 prayers that were granted to the Prophet sallallahu He said, that, then I descended each heaven, so from the seventh to the sixth, and at the sixth was Musa alayhi salam. So I descended until I reached Musa alayhi salam, and Musa asked me, Musa said, oh Muhammad, have you been given something? And he said, I have. What have you been given? I've been granted 50 prayers by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for me, uh, which my Lord has made obligatory upon my ummah. And Sayyidina Musa salam, having had a qawm and having had considerable experience in dealing with people, Sayyidina Musa said, go back and ask for a concession. Your ummah will not be able to fulfill it. Your ummah will not be able to fulfill this obligation. Go back and ask for them to be reduced. And the Prophet ﷺ goes back and asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reduce the prayers and Allah reduces them to by five to forty-five. He comes back. Musa ﷺ said, Oh Muhammad, it's not enough. Go back and ask for a concession. Forty-five prayers is just too much for your ummah. And he goes back again and gets them reduced by five to forty. And this continues to happen, they're getting reduced by five. Every time the Prophet ﷺ is coming back, Musa ﷺ is sending him back, saying, go back and ask for a reduction. 
until the <laughs> until the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam comes down with five prayers, five prayers, which meant that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had to have travelled ten times, asking for a concession ten times, and when he reaches uh, the sixth heaven and he meets Musa alaihi salam, and he says to Musa, uh, Musa asks him, "Oh Muhammad, how many?" And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says that there's five. And he said, this is still too much. Go, go back. Go back and ask for a concession. Your ummah will not be able to fulfill it. And the Prophet sallallahu wasallam at that point said, I am too shy to go back now. And then the Prophet sallallahu wasallam stated that the rewards that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant to my ummah for reading the prayers are, are going to be those of the initial 50. So this, these are the rewards that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted to the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He said, I have returned to my Lord so many times that I'm ashamed to go back again. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam descended the heavens until he came back to the earth. Now, very quickly, we've got about five minutes. In five minutes, I'm going to summarize some of the points that we can learn. We can learn from this story because this is, this is an individual event, right? This is an event that the Prophet ﷺ experienced and no doubt we're happy for the Prophet ﷺ and we hear this fantastic, amazing, magnificent journey and it inspires us. But there's something that we need to take away from it and we need to learn from it as well. The first thing is that after every hardship comes ease. The Quran says, al-usri yusra." Indeed, after every hardship comes ease. And now if you put the historical significance uh, of the, if you take the historical significance of that story, when it occurred, it occurred, it occurred in the tenth year of the of the uh, the um, the Prophet sallallahu preaching, and one year before the Prophet sallallahu migration, uh, hijrah from Mecca to Medina. And you know when the migration took place, the situation wasn't good for the Muslims. They were being tortured. They had to leave. They were thrown out of their city. The Prophet sallallahu in that year, the Prophet sallallahu had lost his uncle Abu Talib. He had lost his rock, his wife Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. In that year, the Prophet sallallahu had traveled to Ta'if and he had preached to the people there and they had thrown him out and they had tortured the Prophet sallallahu by throwing stones at him. So all of that had taken place. That year was known as Amul Huzn or Amul Hazn, the, the year of of sorrow because the Prophet experienced such deep grief in this year and naturally this is something that we can learn from as well because we have people who are suffering from depression in our communities one of the uh, the, the greatest ills psychological ills that people suffer from is depression right it, it almost destroys an individual it does it makes you a shell of a human being the Prophet went through a form of being grieved and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to take him out of of that grief into a different environment and what an environment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he chose to take him on uh, this spiritual this magnificent journey where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam experienced so much and it rejuvenated the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam so when you come across someone who's suffering who's suffering from depression or any psychological ills, 
the best thing that you can do for them is to take them out of that environment that they're in because it's a, it's a toxic environment that they've created for themselves. Take them out of that environment, even if it means taking them out for a, for, for, you know, a, a cup of coffee or taking them out to have something to eat. That's how you can help someone who is feeling that way. But know that after every hardship comes ease. So the Prophet ﷺ went through intense hardship. And after that, the Prophet ﷺ was granted ease by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second thing is the significance of Masjid al-Aqsa. Masjid al-Aqsa is that mosque, the second mosque that was built after the Kaaba. And the Prophet ﷺ mentions the span between the building of Masjid al-Haram in Mecca and Masjid al-Aqsa in Jerusalem is only 40 years. 40 years in between their construction. So it's the second oldest mosque. It's a mosque where you pray and you're granted so many different rewards and blessings. <coughs> it was the first qibla of the Muslims as well. The Muslims used to pray towards Bayt al-Maqdis in, in Jerusalem before it was changed back to, to Mecca in the second year of, uh, of the Hijrah of the Prophet So the significance of it can never be understated. For those of you who can visit and it's difficult now, more so than ever before. For those of you who can visit, visit Masjid al-Aqsa. Visit it. Pray for yourselves. Pray for the Ummah. Especially for those people who live there. Uh, the, the homeland of the Palestinian people. So it's important for you to understand that also. This is, this is sacred land. Where 124,000 prophets were, uh, were led in prayer by the greatest of them all by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The third thing is leadership of all the prophets. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Ana sayyida waldi Adam wala fakhr." That I am the leader of the children of Adam, but I don't have any pride in that, right? And this this story goes on to prove that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam leading the 124,000 prophets who came before him. The fourth lesson and one of the most important lessons that we can learn from is prayer, salah, right? Salah, the gift that was given to the Prophet And we should treat it as that. You know, when you're given a gift, and if you like that gift, and if you appreciate that gift, you're going to utilize it. You're going to take full benefit of it. But if you don't like that gift, and if you're unappreciative of that gift, then you're going to put it to the side, pass it on to somebody else. You know, leave it and, and discard it. And this is what we're doing to the gift of the Prophet ﷺ by not praying. We're discarding it. And it's important for us to understand the importance and the significance of praying. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, this is my mi'raj. My mi'raj was the ascension to the seven heavens. Right? My mi'raj was meeting with my Lord. But the mi'raj and the ascension of every believer is to pray salah. If we want to experience that same level of spiritual ecstasy, then we need to to lower our heads to the ground in humility and humbleness in sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the way that we'll be able to experience a semblance of what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa experienced in communion, in communication with his Rabb. I'm not going to go through uh, the many ahadith in relation to that. Uh, the, the fifth and the sixth thing to, to learn from is the punishments and the... the, the, the uh, uh, of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that have been mentioned in the story and there's many of them where the Prophet sallallahu talks about those individuals who are being punished in Jahannam for some of the crimes that they've committed in this world and it's important for us to learn from that as well and be wary of that, be scared so we don't do anything like that to jeopardize our own iman 
and to jeopardize our standing uh, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day when there will be no hiding away from our sins. Um, and and this is, you ha we have to contemplate and we have to think about that. You know, my job is not to scare you, my job is to inspire you. But sometimes we need to, uh, inspiration has to come from a sense of fear as well, right? There has to be a level of, of, of accountability for our sins. And it's important for us to realize that, to understand that also. The last thing that I'm going to mention, perhaps one of the most important, is that the Prophet wasallam states, that I never passed by a group of angels, and listen to this carefully, I never passed by a group of angels, except that they ordered me, they didn't tell me, they didn't inform me, they ordered me to inform my congregation, my community, my ummah, about the benefits of hijama. This is on the night of ascension, the night of the, uh, the ascension of the Prophet wasallam to the heavens. And yet the Prophet wasallam is saying, I never passed by a group of angels except that they ordered me to tell my, uh, my ummah about the benefits of hijama. And in that the Prophet wasallam in the hadith states that the, the, the cure to every illness can be found in hijama. And what is hijama? Hijama is blood cupping for those of you who don't know, right? Blood cupping where literally cups are placed upon your back and your shoulders, your legs, your arms, any part of your body. And they are tightened until, and slits are made and that blood, that dirty toxic blood that your body doesn't need, that is taken out of your body, right? And a new blood is created in its place, fresh blood. Your body creates it automatically. Now the Prophet ﷺ often had this uh, hijama performed throughout his life. Now I know brothers who are here, I know, who have never performed hijama or have had hijama performed to them throughout their lives. They don't understand what it is and why it's so important. We'd, ra we'd rather go to the doctors when we're ill and get a, uh, some tablets from them, something that we can orally take with water and that's enough for us. But these kind of cures we need to take advantage of. So it's important for each and every one of you to realize that. It's a sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, if nothing else. It's a sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. Each and every individual, look, I, last week I was ill. You, 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 you saw, those of you who were here, how, how I was suffering from, from illness. Right? And you, you're, you're given all of these antibiotics to take. And they make you so drowsy, they make you so dehydrated. I spent, after Jummah the last week, I spent time in hospital suffering from dehydration. Now, the Prophet ﷺ has granted us many cures. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted us many cures from this land. Cures which are pure. And it's important that we take advantage of them. Hijama is one of them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me and you the tawfiq and the ability to act upon the teachings of the Quran and the blessed sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa